Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Before I introduce my guest, um, if you're not a frequent listener to the podcast, there's 700 and you may wonder, how do I consume 700 podcasts? And I'm not inviting you to do that. But what you could do is go to listenlearnandlove.org and there's a toolbar across the top that says podcasts and our podcasts are introduced are segmented different categories. So then you can kind of do a deep dive if you want to learn about a specific category from our guests that have talked about that space. Uh, That's the only housekeeping thing. Um, My guest on today's podcast, joining me from sunny Southern California, is my friend Kevin Alstrom. Welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Thanks, Richard. I'm happy to be here. Um, Kevin's mom was on the podcast, Char Alstrom, episode 581. Um, And she talked about, she has six kids and two of her sons are gay. And she talked about just loving her gay sons. Um, Kevin is not gay. He's the oldest son in this family of six that have five boys. He's married to his wife, Bree. And they are the parents of one child with one on the way. But Kevin is coming from this space as a straight brother trying to support his gay brothers. We've done some podcasts in this category in the past. We haven't done a lot of them. So I reached out to Kevin after seeing some of his Facebook posts and be connected to the family story and thought, and I thought your mom did a terrific job, but it's a little different story coming from a brother and navigating this. Um, so Kevin, this will be helpful for you as a parent. I think it'll be helpful for your LGBTQ just hearing you know, a straight ally, what he feels about how, who you are and how we should love you may be helpful to a local leader, a CES employee who's trying to do the right thing in a CES in a seminary institute class. Um, so Kevin's going to talk about that. He's also going to talk about his own journey, his relationship with the church. That's come like a lot of us in this space with some tension and maybe even feeling that Kevin would leave the church and Kevin has decided to stay, but it's probably with some living with some paradoxes and some things he's not comfortable with. This whole podcast is not designed to keep everybody in the church. Yeah, I invite people to follow church teachings, but it's also designed to reduce divisiveness between people in or out of the church. So some things Kevin shares may be helpful for you if you're trying to stay in the church and are working through complicated issues, but also may be helpful if you're out of the church or have people you love out of the church because Kevin's brothers aren't active in the church and he loves and supports them. Um, and so is that okay for, and you're a, you're an attorney, served a mission in Texas. You're in your mid thirties and, um, live yeah. in Northern Orange County. So uh, is that okay for an introduction? And yeah, yeah. Thank you. And thanks for setting up the the context. Um, and we'll and get all that. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'll just get started by um, sharing kind of what I hope to talk about, which is how I view what it means to love my my gay friends and family, and then like you like you mentioned, Richard, the the kind of the paradox or the tension I'm living with as a as an active member, and and it's something that I think about a lot. And um, yeah, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to come come uh, on the podcast. I think like. Yeah, I think what what I could start by doing is maybe reading the post that we connected over. I posted this um, almost two years ago in 2021. Maybe it was over two years ago, actually. Um, And it was about one of my brothers named Keith, um, who's gay. And um, 
and I'll just, I'll just read it. Um, so this is what the post says. I was at the gas station walking back to my car. Bree, my, Bree, my wife, Bree was in the front seat. I don't remember where we were going, but I got a call from my brother, Keith. He and I are close, but we aren't the kind of people who call each other on the phone. I answered on speaker as I got back into the car. Hey, Keith, how's, hey, Keith, how's it going? His immediate response. How can you tell if a boy likes you? Before Keith started dating his current boyfriend, Derek, they were roommates. Keith really liked Derek, but wasn't sure if Derek liked him back. Hence, his random phone call in question. For the next 20 minutes, Bree and I strategized with Keith on how he could figure out if Derek liked him or was just being nice. We said things like, just ask him out. The next time you're watching TV, sit super close to him and see if he moves away. And my favorite, slap his butt. We obviously had no idea how to help him. The point is, we were 100% on his side, fully invested in trying to make Keith and Derek a thing. We wanted Keith to date Derek. When they ended up getting together, he called us to tell us about their first kiss. We were super happy for him. We love them and we love seeing them together. We fully approve of their relationship. Church leaders have instructed members to, quote, be careful that love and empathy do not get interpreted as condoning and advocacy. They want me to walk a fine line of loving Keith without condoning his relationship with Derek. They want me to tell him, I love you, but I don't approve of your relationship. A handful of years ago, I would have said this exact thing to Keith, and I'm afraid too many church members are saying, are saying this today to their queer friends and family. What kind of brother would I have been if I tried to walk the line between love and condoning? When it comes to supporting queer family and friends, there is no line. Condoning is love. Advocacy is love. If you try to walk the line, you fail at loving them. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, I feel like I've come so far. And like, you know, if... if if any of you have listened to my mom's post, she's, she's come so far and I've learned a ton from her. Like my opinions are informed so much by her because she's done a lot of the, a lot of the hard work of praying and fasting and, and all because there were her kids as a, as a brother, I'm kind of watching from the sidelines. I'm interested, but there wasn't all that hand wringing and, and, and just nights on my knees like my mom did. And so I'm, I looked to her a lot in terms of like what she was learning and I was just learning along with her. Um, but where I started, so this is where I'm at now in 2023 back in, I don't know, 2017, maybe I was not thinking this way. It was more of, I don't know. Uh, I was kind of a, a little bit fresh off my mission. Still, I was very much in the church. Uh, I still am in the church, but then I was fully invested in every way. And just to illustrate kind of where I was, um, I want to share another story about, um, the conversation I had with my wife about our second, our, another brother who was gay named Kyle. So we have two gay brothers, Keith and Kyle, right? Um, Kyle was the first one who came out. And when he came out, he wasn't sure what he was going to do. He wasn't sure if he was going to leave the church. He wasn't sure he was going to marry a woman uh, or marry a man. He, he didn't know, but he was like kind of on the fence, just trying to figure everything out. And I was driving in the car with three. We were driving on the five up to the Bay area for some reason. I don't remember why. And, um, I, I told Bree, I said, if Kyle leaves the church, if he decides to leave the church, it just means that he didn't have a strong testimony, which is so sad to think about today. But my thinking was, you know, it just means he didn't have a strong testimony because if he truly believed the scriptures, he would know that wickedness never was happiness. And Bree looked at me and she's like, I don't think that's fair. You know, so I got a lot of influence actually from my wife, from Bree. 
um, she wasn't raised in the church. She was raised in another religion and she had a gay uncle. And so she was a lot more sympathetic in the early days to queer people than I was. And she just looked at me and she said, I, I don't think that's fair. I, I, you know, and I was like, why not? Like, that's what it says in the scriptures. Um, you know, we know from Alma 4110 that wickedness, there was happiness and being gay and acting on it is obviously wickedness. So, you know, it, it just adds up in my mind. It makes perfect sense to me. And I, I'm going to jump forward to me observing Kyle as he was struggling and trying to stay in the church. He was sad. Like he was sad and lonely and depressed. And I'm not saying everybody who's gay and single in the church it, like has those feelings, but for him, it was like, that's what I observed in him. And then seeing him deciding to step away from the church, meet a boy, get married. I mean, he's a man, meet a man, um, get married, um, embrace his sexuality and his life and his own just being. He, I saw the shift in him. I saw, I saw how, how much he struggled as a church member and how much he's, how he's thriving now. And I look at that and I'm like, he's happy now. And so there's a disconnect between wickedness, there was happiness being gay or acting on your, your gay feelings as a sin and what I'm observing. Right. And I'm just watching him, you know, this was back in maybe 2019. I'm just watching him like, okay, something's not adding up in my head. Um, and so I got, I eventually got to the point where I'm, I'm realizing, and I'll explain this a little bit more, but I'm realizing that to me and my, with my belief, like, I don't think being gay is a sin. I don't think acting on, I don't think same-sex relationships are 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 wrong in God's eyes. Is where is my my feeling? Um, a couple and a couple of other things was, um, I guess back. I'm I'm jumping around a little bit now, but back in the um, you know the early days, right? I, I was holding on to the you know to a couple of scriptures, and also I was also holding on to a quote from Elder Oaks, where he said our knowledge of God's revealed plan of salvation requires us to oppose many of the current social and legal pressures to retreat from traditional marriage. So back in the early days, I, that, that quote kind of lived in my head. I said, you know, we, we understand the plan of salvation. So we have to retreat from gay marriage or marriage equality. And it took a long time to shed that um, feeling and, and that belief system for me. Cause that's what I grew up with. Right. Um, a couple of things that helped me retreat from that, or sorry, that helped me kind of shed those, that opinion were just conversations. Like, I mean, this podcast is listen, learn, and love. And that's what I did. I did a lot of that. Um, I like to think of myself as like a question asker. I like going deep in conversations. I like asking tough questions of people and, and just going deep. Right. And whenever this issue came up, cause it's something I was thinking about a lot and I didn't know. I mean, I wanted to love and I wanted to support marriage equality and support my brothers in their, in their gay relationships. But I also felt like I couldn't because of what the church was telling me. And maybe that was right. Maybe that was wrong, but that was my impression when I was, you know, in my twenties, late twenties. Um, but we met a couple in Washington, DC when we lived there and they kind of helped me see, they had a couple of quotes that I, that I, that became my new mantras. Or mantras. Um, one was, it's up, it's up to God to judge. My job is only to love. 
And so I was like, oh, I, you know, that kind of shed some obligation off of me. Like, oh, I, all I have to do is reach out and love. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to pass judgment on anyone. So that was a great first step. The second quote that I really liked was, you know, we say, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? But they, they said, no, I don't like that. They said, love the sinner, invite them to dinner. And I, I like that. I, I, I felt great about that. I thought, I was like, that's a great place for me to be. You know, I later learned that maybe that doesn't even go too far because that still kind of like implies that being gay or being in a gay relationship is still sinning because you're still, you're still loving a sinner. So you're kind of passing judgment there, but we'll get, we'll get to that in a little bit, I think. Um, but that was like a really good first step for me, just going from like A to B. Because I think for and now, like for a lot of people, I try to get, I try to help people get from A to B to C to D to E, you know? and um, and that's not always possible. So I think there needs to be people along every point in this like continuum where, Hey, you know, being gay is, you know, if somebody says, you know, being, being in a gay relationship is still a sin, but it's not our job to judge or condemn. Like we just need to love and understand them. Like that's, that's an okay to position to be in because that helps others get from even farther away to, to where I feel is the right spot. I don't, I don't know if that's making sense, but I, I just wanted to 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 put that out there. One thing that like I think about a lot is the sense of like shame and guilt that comes along with being gay. And I, I have two stories to share with that. One is um Brie and I, we have a lot of stories that happen in the car. I don't know why, but this one is in the car as well. Um, we were driving with a with a young man who was a who was a family friend. But it was Brie and I. I was driving. We were in the front seat, and this young man was in the back. And we were driving somewhere, and and we were we we'd known him for a while and felt really comfortable with him and and his family. And um, he, you know, as we were driving along, he says, "Hey, hey, guys, I need to tell you something." And may, and it suddenly became very serious. And we were like, okay, what do you need to tell us? And he said, I, I can't say it. I don't want to say it. And we kind of looked at each other and we're like, what, you know, what is he, what is it? What does he have to say? And he wouldn't, he wouldn't tell us. And for a long time, we were going back and forth about like, okay, well, is it, does it have to do with school? Like, what is it? And then suddenly it came to me what he wanted to tell us. And I said, I said, you are gay. And he was like, yeah, I, you know, and two things there is like, it was, I felt good that he felt comfortable enough to, with us to say something to us, but it also hit me how hard it is for people to come out the first time to a stranger. And he, I mean, he had known that we had gay brothers that we, that we loved and, and we probably could have been like, we're probably the two safest people, two safest people that he could have come out to. And yet it was still so hard to verbalize that. And to me, that just illustrates like, deep seated the, the shame is around being gay in the church. And yeah. And so I'm not totally sure why I'm sharing that, but it's just a story that sticks out in me. And it, it makes, I guess it makes me feel so much empathy and, and love for, the, uh, for this community. When, when he said that Bree said, you know, I wish, I wish we weren't driving. I just want to get out and hug you, you know, give you a big hug. And um, yeah, but we did that later and it was, it was great. I mean, it, yeah, it, it kind of, that conversation will just live in my mind. And I'm so grateful that he felt comfortable enough to come out. The other conversation happened over text and it was with my brother, Keith. And I texted him 
and asked him a question. And the question I asked was, what do you wish your young men's leaders had taught you about being gay when you were in high school? Like, what do you wish they had told you? Being, you know, now having grown up and being living with your boyfriend and, and just loving your life right now, what do you wish you had learned to kind of help you along the path? And, he, and the first thing he said was, I wish I had known that it wasn't a sin to be gay. And I, I was actually surprised by that because I had thought that the church had taught for a long time that it's not a sin to be gay, right? Um, just to have those feelings. And so I responded and, and, you know, he grew up, he was in high school in maybe 2016, 2017. So like fairly recently where the church didn't teach those things that the feelings were not sinful, but acting on them were right. Um, and so I responded to Keith and I said, yeah, but didn't you kind of know that already that like just having the feelings weren't sinful. And he said, yeah, I understood that in my head, but every time I felt any type of attraction towards another boy or a man on TV or anything, those guilt and shame feelings came to me and I felt bad about myself. And like, that's the second time where, where it's just the, the, the guilt and shame is so internal, just having the thoughts make you feel bad because it's like, well, yeah, I didn't act on them. So I didn't technically sin, but my inmost, my innermost desire is to do that. And I think back to my high school when, you know, when I was in, you know, a teenager and, you know, I was all about like talking to girls, flirting with girls. And I never felt bad about being attracted to someone or flirting or dating. Like that was all encouraged. And, um, and I just think it's, it was so sad for him to have to go through high school feeling like that about every, every sense of attraction that he had. And so I don't know, some stuff needs to change. I don't know what it is. I really don't. But like, I, you know, I think, I think just saying, feeling the attraction is not a sin, but acting on it is a sin. I don't think that goes far enough to helping queer youth feel like they belong. Um, I don't have the answer, but I just, I, I don't, I'm sharing the story because it, it's left an impact on me. Um, another thing that helped me really come around to understanding that same-sex relationships are okay in God's eyes um, was a relationship or a friendship that, that Bree and I had with a same-sex couple in, a, in a, another city that we lived in um, a few years ago. They were a lesbian couple, so they're two women. And we became really fast friends with them. Um, they ended up uh, uh, like we ended up going to dinner with them. We traveled with them. We went to Hawaii uh, with them and um, just had so many conversations with them. And for me, just like observing their relationship and, you know, the kindness that they showed each other, the support that they had for each other. We probably spent, you know, we spent hundreds of hours in conversation with them and talking to them and stuff. And, and feeling just feeling their, yeah, their love, their support, their kindness. It's impossible for me to say that there's anything wrong with that. Like just because they're two women in a, in a loving relationship in a romantic relationship, I don't see any evidence of, of wrongdoing or moral corruptness or sin. Like, you know, so in thinking about that, I was reminded about scripture in Moroni um, and I'll read it. It's Moroni seven thirteen. And it says, that which is of God inviteth and enticeth to do good continually. Wherefore, everything which inviteth and enticeth to do good and to love God and to serve him 
is inspired of God. And I look at their relationship and I think, I, I want to be a better father because of the support that I see in you too. I want to be a better husband after, I, after we go to dinner and we're home. I want to be kinder to Bree. I want to be more loving to my son. And that's all a result of spending two hours at dinner with, the, with, this, with these very good friends of ours. Like, how can that not be of God? You know, I don't know. Yeah. So that's, that's where I'm at now. And, and I'm, I'm having a hard time squaring that with, with what is coming from like the pulpit or coming from church leaders when it comes to this, this topic. I don't, I don't know how else to say it other than I, I'm really struggling with, I feel this tension. I feel pulled towards the church because I do love the church and I love going and I want to be there. And I feel like it's good for me and it's good for my family. But I feel this tension of like, I want to stand with my gay brothers and my friends. And I feel a little bit like I can't stand fully with them as a fully supportive and active member of the church. And so, I, I, but I want both, you know? So I, I, might pa- I might pause there, Richard, for a second. I feel like I've been talking for a, lot, a long time. Do you have anything you want to say or, or questions you want to ask or anything? Um, first to comments, you're doing a great job, Kevin. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> you're very articulate. You know the space well. You're very thoughtful. And and I'll just, listeners, I'll write down some notes just because some, when a guest pauses, I usually just summarize the four or five notes and I get our guest, in this case, Kevin, talking. Um, I love this paradox that you're feeling that probably, you know, just you set it up so articulately well. You just in that last segment, you've kind of been a theme throughout the whole thing. I love my brothers and I love my gay friends and I honor their choices. And it's hard to reconcile that. So you're living in the paradoxes. My younger self, and you said, I don't believe same sex marriage or same sex relationship or sin. And my younger self would have said, Well, Kevin, get in line with the church. You know, that's what yeah. the church teaches. So you, I think my inference would be you either got to get totally with the program or you should just leave the church. I wouldn't say it quite that way. But listeners, what I invite us to do is let's create space in ourselves if we feel that way. And and really thoughtful people that are trying to navigate this complex space. And let's be gatherers versus sifters. And if somebody like Kevin who wants to stay in the church honestly expresses, you know, the feelings he's sharing in this podcast Let's don't do what my younger self would have done. Let's just admire you being authentic and honest and, and we're yeah. called to be gatherers and let's Thank create you. space. One, one, one comment on that. And that's, you know, I had this, I had this said to me once it was on an online forum, you know, people can be just such jerks online, but um, he said, I think it was a, a man. It might've been a woman. This person said, you know, if you feel so strongly about this issue, there are plenty of other churches that don't teach that same-sex marriage is a sin that you, you you'd be welcome to join, and and basically inviting me to leave, right? Like <laughs> you, kind of, you kind of said, get in line or, or get out. And and while that like is a, it sounds nice on the internet, like it doesn't hold any weight with me because I was raised in this church. Like I am Mormon. Like this is this is like who I am and where I want to belong. And I do feel like I belong in this church and I feel like attending, I am, I am benefited, but I also feel like I have a lot to offer my community, like in my ward here in, in Los Alamitos. Like 
I want to go and I want to contribute and I want to live fully. And, and that's, honestly, that's going every week. And that's, that's speaking up in class, that's serving in my calling and that's learning from others, you know? And, and so I, yeah. Yeah. So th- thanks for raising that. I appreciate that little comment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, no, no, it, go ahead. I just love that. And I, for me, listeners, the line in the sand would sort of be if, you know, I decide to form a movement to, you know, protest church teachings and form a movement or, you know, that's where for me, but just being a rank and file member, honestly sharing how I feel, yeah. let's create space for people to be honest about how they feel and, and even recognize the courage it takes to participate in a church where you're not comfortable with everything that's being taught and maybe even privately or or with trusted friends pray or, you know, mention you would like things to change. So, yeah, I yeah. think that's well, I have just, a, I do have a story on that and, good, and go for it. And, and, uh, it's, it has to do with not, not, I mean, I would love to see doctrine change. I really would, um, on around the law of chastity and around, you know, the sinfulness of same sex marriages. But the story I want to share is not about that, but it's about the, the discourse that we have at the ward level and how we speak about our gay, our gay friends and family and, and, and our, and our trans, you know, anybody who has, who falls into the LGBTQ umbrella. Um, so the story is this, I was in elders quorum and the uh, elders quorum instructor was speaking, uh, about elder gongs talk from, I can't remember when a few years ago. Um, and the quote was, from Elder Gong, he said, there are no second class uh, members of the Lord's church. And um, I raised my hand and I said, actually, I feel like I have, t- I said, I have two gay brothers. They both left the church because they did feel like they were second class. And I, and again, I said, I don't know how to fix this, but, but there is a problem with, with our gay friends and family. And and the, the, you know, the instructor meant so well and, and he's just doing his best, right? He's probably a, you know, he's probably in finance or something or, or whatever, and doesn't really know what to say to me at this moment. But he, he said, you know, what I would say, what I would say in response to that is, is that church is for those who are sick. Um, he said, I struggle with all kinds of things. I, I'm, I'm lazy. I watch too much TV. I, whatever, whatever he said, right. I'm not as kind to my wife as I should be. And I go to church so I can get better from those things. And he said, I would invite your, your gay brothers to come to church and to, and to grow and to heal. And that sounds great. But like the impression that I got was that being gay is the, is the condition of being gay is a, is a, is a sickness is I feel like that's the impression that we're giving off when we say stuff like that. And I've, I've had other friends tell me that, you know, being gay is, is kind of similar to being depressed or having a mental illness where like, it's something that we need to, that our, our gay friends need to get through and endure in this life. And it'll be taken from them at some point. At least that's the hope. I don't think that's been actually taught by any, I don't think that's actual doctrine, but that's the hope. Right. And I, I don't, I think we need to stop that. I think we need to stop talking like that. Stop comparing being gay to a, to a pornography addiction or to alcoholism or to being lazy or to anything else. Like, I really think the only thing that we should be, that we should be comparing same sex love to is straight sex love is straight love. Um, 
my brothers as humans on this earth, they deserve a romantic relationship with a person of their like uh, with a, with a with another consenting adult. I'll say I'll say it in that way, right? They deserve they deserve romantic companionship with somebody they love. I'll say that, and and to withhold that from them, I I think is wrong. And to say that what they're going through is is uh, you know, it's just like any other trial. I don't know. I don't. It doesn't sit well with me. And I I I hope and I would like us to change the discourse in that in that arena and be able to empathize. If you know, if not make any policy or, or or doctrinal changes, at least empathize with where they are and not try to explain away their condition. Um, because it's not a condition; it's it's who they are, and and from everything I've seen, they're they're fantastic the way that they are. So anyway, yeah. So thanks for yeah. Anyway, yeah. Keep sharing. Um, keep sharing, Keith. <laughs> so or Kevin. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Why well, you know our family has. Us, <laughs> But there's six kids in our family. They all start with K's. And <laughs> my mom got our names mixed up on a daily basis. So I've been called Keith plenty of times, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, I, I think maybe we could change the track a little bit and talk about, um, like, I guess my faith crisis. Good. I mean, if that's okay, I, I, this is great. feeling a little bit like cathartic or something, but I, I think it's great to, to discuss and hopefully it helps somebody. But so I'm, I, I'm basically in this, take us back to 2021. I'm in this mode of, I really am sympathetic towards the, the queer, you know, uh, cause or like to my gay brothers. Like I, I really feel for them and I don't know what to do. And then Elder Holland, I'm, I'm, I will briefly talk about Elder Holland's talk because it was pivotal for me. Elder Holland spoke at BYU to faculty about a lot of different things, but one of the things that hit me was how central he felt the doctrine of marriage being between a man and a woman is to the mission of BYU and the mission of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I had known this, like I obviously, I grew up in the church. I know our position on gay marriage, but just hearing him say that just hit me. Like I felt during his talk, like there was an, there was an ever increasing canyon or chasm between me and him and the church leadership. And I said, I thought like, I can't cross this anymore. Like I can't, the bridge between where they are and where I am is just too long for me to, for me to walk. I don't know. I, I was feeling like very, very much in despair at this moment, like hearing elder Holland. And I, I mean, and I think it, it hurt more because it came from elder Holland because we love Elder Holland. He's the best, you know? Um, <laughs> and then and then listening to my brothers react to it, because they heard about the talk and listened to it, and just the hurt that they felt. So I was trying to listen to Elder Holland, but I was also trying to listen to the people that were really harmed by it, by the, by the words that he spoke. And I, that was when I, I, I thought in my head that I cannot be a true ally or be a true loving friend or brother as an active member of the church. I really thought I needed to leave the church. Um, and so Bree and I talked about it and we made the decision that we were going to leave. Like we just thought, Hey, let's, this is it. You know, I mean, 
And it was, it was a hard decision. Like it was not easy. Like it's, I, and it wasn't like, Oh, you know, all the reasons that they give, we were offended. We, we were offended. Um, <laughs> you know, they said people only leave the church because they want to sin or they get offended. We didn't want to sin. We didn't want to, we didn't want to, we didn't want to leave, but I, I felt that I couldn't be truly myself and a true friend by being in the church. And it was, I mean, it was just a really sad time. And, and I, and so I really empathize with folks who leave over stuff like this because I, I mean, technically I did, but it wasn't for very long and I'll, and I'll tell you why. Um, so we, we decided we were going to leave. We texted like our Bishop in our old ward and we said, Hey, can we be, you know, released from our callings? And, and then I texted my mom and I said, Hey mom, like we're, Bri and I decided to leave the church. I, we just can't, we can't do it. Um, and my mom didn't respond for a long time because I think she was probably praying about what she should say to me. <laughs> that <laughs> um, sounds like your mom. <laughs> yeah, no, she's great. Um, and what she said was, was amazing. Um, and it changed, it changed. It, well, I'll, I'll tell you what she said. So she said a lot of things. Um, most of it was just kind of her own. She was putting out a lot of, she's like, I'm, I'm fearful for you for if you leave the church, a lot of stuff that maybe wasn't super helpful. But the one thing she did say was, you've been so angry at the church recently that you've distanced yourself from God. And when she said that, I got a little bit defensive. And I was like, no, I'm doing what God wants me to do. Like, I, I feel that. I feel like God is calling me away from the church. I feel like I'm right in line with what God wants. But in thinking through that, like, I thought like, well, I, I never actually prayed about this. Um, and she might've asked me, have you, I think she did ask me, have you prayed about this decision? And, and I realized that I had it. I just felt so much anger towards the church. And so like, right in my feeling that like, I just thought this was the only option. And so, you know, really taking that to heart, her, her word of words of like, you know, you're distancing yourself from God by being so angry. Um, that night I prayed like, you know, like you pray, like, like you pray for thing for direction. I hadn't done that in a long time. Like not since like, you know, about who I should marry, you know, or I, I guess I prayed about what job I should take right out of law school, but it's been, it's been a while since I prayed like with that intent of like, I'll do what you say, like, I'll do what you, what the answer is. And, um, so I prayed and I said, you know, basically heavenly father, like, I think I'm going to leave the church. Like, I don't think it's for me right now. Um, is that right? And, um, you know, I, I didn't get an answer right away. It wasn't like a thing that, that that happened. I mean, sometimes it does, but that one didn't. And um, so I went to bed. I was I was crying, like I was weeping, like actual like you know. And so anyway, I was I was grieving, grieving leaving the church, but I felt like it was the right thing. So anyway, I went to bed, but I was awoken the next morning at like five in the morning, which I never wake up that early with. Like just what I felt like just ideas like pouring into my, my mind about like how I can be an, an, how I can be an ally, how I can help LGBTQ people feel like they're, they matter and that they're God's children, they're loved. But all these ideas that were pouring into my head were in the context of me being an active member, like me being in church and participating in church. and that was, and then I, then I was immediately reminded of like Joseph Smith's quote where I think I wrote it down, but he says, 
he says, you, you know, you can recognize the spirit when pure intelligent flows into you and it gives you sudden strokes of ideas like that. I remember that quote. And I, and I thought, that sure does seem a lot like pure intelligence and sudden strokes of ideas. I'm having a ton of ideas right now. I think that might be a revelation my answer to stay. And, and when I, when I had that thought of like, maybe I'm supposed to stay. I suddenly got like so much energy and like enthusiasm for being active, being participating, but also being an ally within the walls of the church and not a voice of like anger outside the church, which I could have I easily could have done, you know? And, um, and so I don't, you know, I don't know if that was the right, like, I, I, like, I don't know if the church is true. I, I have faith that it is. My testimony is there. It's not the biggest right now, but I do know that like, I really feel like God wants me in this church and wants me here. And I don't think that's the answer that, that he'll give to everyone. You know, I, I had another, I had a friend reach out to me like shortly after this. And I was posting a lot on, on Facebook about different things. And, and he, and he asked me like, how, why are you in the church? Like if you, you know, if you feel so, if you feel this way, like, why are you here? And I told him like, honestly, I got an answer to a prayer. Like I, I don't know. I don't know why, but I, I think right now this is where I'm supposed to be. And, and I didn't say like, it's, it's the same for you too. Like you need to stay because you just, you can do so much more good in the church. Like I, I don't know what that answer is for him. Um, but I really feel called, you know, to be where I'm at right now. And, um, so I'm, I'm active. I think I'll pause. I think I want to pause there and let you, and let you comment or just take a, take a break for a second. I have some other things I want to share, but, um, I'll pause there. Um, thanks for being so vulnerable about this part of your journey. And, um, I've gone kind of through a likewise journey where this space often generates a faith crisis and the paradox. And, um, I love you, you know, reaching out to your mom and just the humility to pray, um, when you were pretty, felt pretty resolved and you're pretty bright, capable guy. And, but the humility to do that and receive an answer, but then also giving grace to your friend that, you know, he may get a different answer. We honor personal revelation. So I've sort of in the same space where Kevin is, where I've chosen to stay, but I honor people's personal revelation if to know their best path forward and I'll just walk with them. So that's yeah. taken some time for me, listeners, just to kind of get where Kevin's gotten to and, and just, you know, honor everybody's personal agency and not try to judge, you know, their choices. If they just followed the formula I followed, they would get the same answer I got. And so I think we'd be true enough in our in our belief and our own journeys to respect other journeys. I'm also remembered that you were the one that got you were the one that messaged me to get your mom on the podcast in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so you started this whole ball rolling with your mom being on episode five eighty one and and now here you are. But um, keep sharing, Kevin. Okay. Yeah. No. Thank. Thanks for your, your comments there. Um, I I want to get to where I'm at now and kind of the tension that I feel now. But before I do that, and I've shared I've shared the story like about me leaving the church and then and then getting revelation. I think to stay, which which was through all the ideas that I've that I was given five a.m. in the morning. I actually like when I woke up, I was getting all these ideas, so I actually took out my phone and I started writing them all down. 
and when I've shared the story like one or two other times, people have asked like, well, what were they? What, what were you writing down? Like, they're from God. They're probably pretty good. <laughs> and so I, I, I don't want to say that they're amazing or anything, but I think for me, I needed them. And I wrote, I've, I made a list and I'll just read them really quick. There's, and I, you know, I don't know if these were the ideas that I got in that moment, but I got many of them in this moment, but it's basically like, I made a list of 10 ways that wards can be more inclusive or like, or, or a member who's a part of a ward can be more inclusive. And this is just at the ward level, not using authority or coercing or coercing like bishops or anybody like that. But this is like things that a member without authority can do with their own influence. Right. And so I'll just go through them really fast. And um, number one is, is focus on Jesus. I mean, I guess this is obvious, but it was, it was revelation to me. It honestly was, but focus on Jesus and focus on how he focused on the marginalized. Um, my friend, Rob Danes, um, who's now 70, gave a great talk. I'm going to put a plug in at general conference. And he said, if you write down every time Jesus talked to somebody on the outskirts of society, you will run out of ink by Luke or before you get through Luke, you know, and, and I, uh, you know, so that is great. And, and, uh, Rob's a great guy and, um, shout out to him. Um, the second, number two was talk, talk about tough subjects. Like don't shy away from this stuff is basically like lean into the discomfort. Uh, church is not necessarily where we should go to feel super great all the time. I think it's where we go to grow and, and think about difficult issues. Um, so that's two, um, three is be proactive instead of reactive. And I say this in, in kind of, um, in the context of, of course, it's great to speak up when somebody says something that's homophobic or transphobic or, you know, uh, that marginalizes somebody in, in reaction, in reaction, in response to that. But I want to go a step further and proactively bring our queer friends and family into the conversation or into the, at least the topic of that into the discussion. And so if we're having a discussion on marriage or something, or the plan, even the plan of salvation, it might be a good idea to just raise your hand and say, you know, I, I observed that I don't really see where, where gay people fit into the plan of salvation right now. Like, are they, are they supposed to be celibate their whole lives? Is that really what we want? We don't ask anybody else to do that. We don't ask any of our clergy to do that. It's not an expectation on anybody, but our gay members. Is that, is that right? Is that, does that, does that sit well with folks? And just being proactive about that, helping people think about that, I think is a, is a key element of moving the discussion forward. Um, so that was three, um, four, maybe this one's a little bit iffy, but I call it bend the doctrine toward inclusion. I feel like history and scriptures are always interpreted with some sort of angle. Um, no matter how unbiased or fair you want to be, there's always going to be some little like angle. And I do feel like the scriptures have been interpreted with an eye of exclusion towards our queer siblings, like by church leaders and by our, you know, uh, membership. And I would like to, to, to have members and myself, like as much as we can take an eye towards inclusion. And if there's a place where we can say, Hey, I think this, I think this scripture or whatever, or rule could be interpreted in a way that includes our, our gay and trans friends and family. Like let's, let's think about it that way. I don't have an example of that. I, sh I, I mean, I do, but I don't have one off the top of my head, but um, 
if I come up with one, I'll try to think of one, but, or I'll try to share it. So that was four. Um, five was speak from my own experience. I, just because it's hard for somebody to argue with what happened, like with your own testimony, not even testimony, but your own story. And so, you know, um, uh, six is confess my own shortcomings. So I, I love talking about like how I was or how I am now. And, and, um, you know, with, in the wake of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, Ibram, Ibram Kendi became, you know, a very well-known author. And he says, the heartbeat of anti-racism is confession. Wow. And um, I, I think that's true with anything, like with the heartbeat of, of anti-homophobia is confession, you know? So I would, I would say that for myself, like I have some homophobic feelings. Um, for example, like, I don't necessarily like watching um, gay romance on TV. Like, or like when two guys kiss on TV, I still feel that like that like repulsion that I was kind of bred to to have. And I and and so that's a that's a homophobic feeling that I have. And so I don't think it's a I don't think it's a it's a dig or it's a it's a, a big insult to say that you know I'm I'm a little bit homophobic. Even as, even as a, uh, a true, even as like a, as good of an ally as I can be, I still have a ways to go. And so when we hear other people calling church leaders homophobic, um, or saying they might have some homophobic tendencies, it's, it's not necessarily like an attack on their character. It's just a, it's just a, it's something, it's, it's pointing out things that we all are working on. I don't know. So I just want to put that out there as a, as a thought. Um, uh, uh, I think I'm at seven is elevate the voices of women and other underrepresented groups. Just bring them in. If they're there, like let's call on them <laughs> and ask them to ask them to teach, make them gospel doctrine teachers, make them um, have them, have them uh, speak at church. I think my word here is doing a really, really good job of that. And um, uh, so props to my Bishop and, and, and my stakes in that way. Um, uh, the number eight is defend our friends instead of the church. And I, I say this because a lot of times I, um, when some, when the church does something bad, like quote unquote bad, um, like the exclusion policy in 2015, I think, um, I think our first reaction is to try to justify what the church did. Or a lot of members' first reactions try to justify like, oh, the church probably had a really good reason for that. Or, um, or I, I, you know, I can't imagine what the apostles are going through um, right now. And, and trying, to, trying, to like, trying to like defend or explain away the church's actions rather than running to the aid of the people that it's it's arms or feel who feel hurt by it. And I don't know if I'm explaining that very well, Richard, but, um, the church has enough, like the church doesn't need defending. Like the church can stand on its own. It's, you know, if if we really believe it's Christ church, it, it can stand on its own. It doesn't need its members defending it. it. What, what we need is members defending the body of Christ, which are everybody, all of us. We need to be running towards the defense of, those who are defenseless, like teenagers who feel alone, things like that. who feel like every, every, you know, people are out to get them or, or they feel like 
they're they're somehow wrong in, inside because they feel attracted to the same gender, things like that. So that was eight. Um, number nine is is a policy change, but I think it's a small one. I think maybe it's one worth talking about. It's um, create a ward inclusion leader. And this could be in addition to a ward mission leader or instead of a ward mission leader. Wow. Um, we, <laughs> we should have a ward inclusion leader that's that, that sits in on, you know, ward council meetings um, and all the big meetings that these leaders sit in on. Um, and it, and the purpose of this calling should be to create a space where everybody feels included and, and not just included, but feels like they belong. Right. And they would be looking at every aspect of say sacrament meeting and they'd be advising on uh, maybe the choice of hymns and saying, well, maybe this hymn like might feel like, I don't know, you know, whatever. Right. Or who's, who's ushering at the door, who's saying hello, all kinds of things. Um, I just think that every ward probably has somebody who's minded like this, who could really be an asset to creating a more inclusive space. at, at church, like at our meeting house. So we basically we create a meeting house where everybody feels like they can come. And I think that would help missionary work just as much as the mission, the missionaries, you know? So I don't know. Um, that was nine. And then number 10, last thing is expect resistance, which is just, you know, if we're trying to change anything, there's, there's going to be people who don't like to see it and, um, uh, will, will fight against it. Um, and so it's like, if we can expect that coming in, maybe we won't be so taken aback when we do see resistance. But um, the resistance that I've seen has been, not recently, but when I, when I first started speaking out about it, the resistance I saw was, it affected me. Like, like I spoke up in a, in a class one time um, and I said, I was talking, we were talking about anti-racism well, we weren't talking about anti-racism. I brought up anti-racism. And, um, <laughs> and we, I just talked about, you know, uh, the long history of the church, like withholding the priesthood and all this. And, and the resistance I got was pretty forceful. It wasn't in this word, it was in a prior word. And the effect that it had on me was profound. Like I, I was shaking, like my hands were like, because I felt like I really wanted to fit in with this, with this community and this ward, but by speaking up, I almost felt like they were pushing me out because they were just defending the church so much. And, and, and I, I don't, and so I, I had like a physical reaction to that and it was hard, but I think, I still think I did the right thing by speaking up, but it was just tough. It was, it was just a tough thing. And so I just want to call that out to anybody who speaks up and it gets resistance that it's, it's not easy. You know, for me, I have a lot of privilege in that I'm a straight white, married, educated man. And so church, I mean, Patrick Mason has said this, like church works for people like me. Like it's, it's actually great. And, um, I want to use this privilege, not just for myself, but to help the mar- the people who aren't privileged, like me to help other people. And I, I don't mean to say like, I'm a white savior or like I'm rescuing somebody, but like, I think that I can, speak in church and I'm at the age where, you know, I'm in my late thirties. Like I'm at the age where people start listening um, <laughs> when a, a, thir- a 38 year old white guy starts speaking. And so, um, and so I want to use that 
like privilege and power to help others and help and help move this like conversation forward. Um, yeah, I, I, I have, okay. I have more. I have more. Keep going. Don't, I have more. don't stop. Keep oh, going. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So I have a couple more things. Uh, just a couple more things. So just this thought, I was talking to a friend about, about coming on your podcast and we were talking about, I don't know, just what I wanted to say. And, um, I, I was reminded of elder or sorry, of president Nelson's most recent talk where he coined, you know, he coined the phrase think celestial. Um, it's going through our young men's program right now. I'm in the young men's and they're all repeating it. And it's actually great to hear. Right. Um, so the goal is the celestial kingdom, but the reason the celestial kingdom is so great is because that's where family relationships can exist beyond this life, right? Like that was the way that it was sold to, I shouldn't say sold, but that was the way it was taught to me as a child was in the celestial kingdom, families can be together forever. And it's not the celestial kingdom without my family. Like, I don't, I really don't think it is. And so there, and so I believe that the celestial kingdom has to include my gay, my, my gay brothers and their husbands. I really think that it, otherwise it's not the celestial kingdom. I consider, I consider my, you know, uh, his, his name is Chandler is, is my, my uh, Kyle's husband. And then Keith's boyfriend is, is named Derek. I consider those two individuals just as much a part of my family as anybody, as anybody else. Um, and like, I don't want to live in a space where they're not invited. And so I think that the social kingdom has to include them. Um, I don't, I don't know, but I think, and I feel like if we wait and just say, Oh, I hope this all gets worked out, you know, in the millennium, I, I don't like that either because it's like kind of pushing the problem off on somebody else. I feel like we have to include them now. Like, like it has to be done today or at least in the short term in order for it to actually happen in the long term. I think there's something there to that. This was a conversation we had just recently. And, um, that's just the thought about, you know, my views on thinking celestial and, and what that actually looks like. Um, I'm going to move into what I, where I am now and like kind of some of the struggles I have. And, um, and this is a little bit more messy. I don't have all these details thought out. I don't, I'm not going to maybe speak with such like confidence, but (laughs) I want to talk about a little bit of what I'm going through right now. And, and maybe it'll be messy, but I don't know, maybe it'll help me and maybe it'll help some of the listeners. I'm not sure, but like, I want to, so I want to fully participate in my ward. I want to be, I want to be in all the way. I really do. And being into me means having a temple recommend. Um, but I currently don't have one. I I'm not a temple recommend holder right now. Um, for two, two big reasons. And one is, um, there's a question in the temple recommend that, that basically says, do you support or promote any doctrine teaching or practice that's contrary to the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? And I don't feel like I can honestly answer no to that question. And in order to get a temple recommend, you have to answer the question a certain way, at least in my stake. I'm not sure, I'm not sure how it works, like how it all works. But in, for me, I, I would need to answer 
no to that question that I do not promote or support any doctrine, teaching, or practice that is contrary to the church. And I can't honestly, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I, I would love to get a temple recommend and be fully participating in the church and maybe one day be a seminary teacher or, you know, serve in a bishopric or whatever. Um, because I love it. I love, I love the community and I love the atmosphere. And I feel like I, I could offer people things and I feel like I could learn things as a fully participating member, but I'm here and I'm like, what do I say to this question? I mean, you know, we just, you know, I just heard everything I believe. Like it, it is contrary to the church, right? So what do I say to this question? I don't know. And I've been struggling with this for, for a year or so. Um, I don't have an answer. And so I, I, I'm leaning towards, I don't know, just maybe trying to work out a way where I can say no. And that doesn't feel really, really great, you know? Um, so there's that. And then the other thing that I um, am struggling with is tithing. Um, you know, going to church, being in the ward at the community, um, that's great. Like, and I like that. Jenna Reese, I think, wrote a, wrote an article about the little C church versus the big C church. I love the little C church. Like, I feel so great going to the little C church because again of my privilege, but also just because of our relationships and our friendships and the things we learn and the way Felix, our son, like sings in, in the primary program. And, and it's just, it's just great. I love going and I, and I, and I'm going to continue going no matter what, probably, probably I can't, can't say anything indefinite in this, but I'm going to, I plan on continuing to go. But the big C church, I feel some tension about supporting that the big C church you know, just the church as an institution through tithing. I know just a small portion of tithing funds probably goes to the things that I really have issues with in terms of, um, you know, working on legislation that maybe excludes, you know, queer people from jobs or, or, you know, discriminates in in certain ways. I I don't know. I, I actually don't know how much church has done of that, done that recently, but I know they've done it in the past. Prop eight is the biggest example, but you know, they've done in the past. And I, I asked my brother once, um, Kyle, I said, does my activity in the church hurt you or does it bother you? Are you upset by it? And he, and he responded and he said, you know, I've really had to separate out you as a person from you as a church, a more, a more inactive Mormon. He said, and he said, you know, he said, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? Like speaking <laughs> of me as the sinner, uh, going to you know, supporting the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and um, which is you know fair, fair, a very fair point. Um, and I told him, I was like, would it make a difference if 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 I didn't if I if you learned that I hadn't paid my tithing in like a year? Um, <laughs> and he's like, really, you don't pay tithing? And I was like, I I, I don't know what to do. I mean, I I have it, but I haven't paid it. You know, and he's like, well, that you know, he's like, that actually makes me feel a lot better about you about you as a person. And, um, and I, you know, so I'm here trying to be the person that my brother could say he's proud of and, and, and be somebody that can stand with him. And I don't know, maybe it's a misconception on his part, but like, maybe it's a misconception on my part. I don't really know, but I'm at this point where I want both things and I don't feel like I can have both things. 
And um, I don't know. So yeah, and yeah, I have I have one last thing, but um, I'll I'll end with this last thing. But uh, Richard, do you want to do you want to say anything or, or yeah, I've comment? I, keep keep talking, then we can have okay. a discussion. Okay, okay. So so on this last thing that I'm that I'm that I'm just recently thinking about which is a quote from Terrell Givens, who, um, you know, is a prominent Mormon thinker and, and I've enjoyed reading and listening to, um, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says. And I don't even know if I agree with this, this thing that he's going to say, but it's, it's, or this thing that I'm going to share that, that what he said, but it's, it might be a way for me to think about this, like moving forward. Um, and his quote is, we have to be careful not to make an idol of our own integrity. And when he said that, it was in a Faith Matters podcast. Um, when he said that, I thought that he was speaking directly to me because I've been very consumed with with living, being true to what I believe, being honest with these beliefs. And yet he says, "Don't put your own integrity over everything else." And so what I what I think about with that is like. If I was to honor my integrity over everything, it might it, it might mean I leave the church, and that would be a very big cost to me and my family and to my work community. Like I do feel like my family contributes to the ward, and they benefit from us being there. We benefit from being around them, and I think if I was to leave over this issue, it would it would it would hurt me and my family in the long run because we would miss out on so many relationships, so many like service and growth opportunities and our son and our future daughter would miss out on like a lot of just great lessons. Like I like the person I am today and I feel like a huge part of who I am was, is, is due to like my upbringing and Mormonism. And so I don't want to just throw that all away because I disagree on a topic, a big topic, one that's central to my life and my family's life, like for sure. But I don't want to throw it all away just because my integrity tells me to, you know? And so it's almost like, you know, for so long I thought, oh, my integrity is the most important thing. Maybe it's not, you know, maybe, maybe I can maintain my integrity somehow, but, but understand that I need to move forward in the church in some way. I don't know. So that's just a thought that I recently have started thinking. Um, and maybe that's my path forward. I don't, I'm not sure, but that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, I think that's all I had, you know? So thank you. Yeah. Listeners, every time somebody comes on the podcast, I'm just moved by their story. And this is a beautiful, unique, thoughtful story. This is a great time in your journey to be on the podcast, Kevin. You've been in this space a long time. You put a lot of thought into this and um, I think it it helps other people that may feel the way you do not feel alone and you may have put vocabulary and, and principles that help them in their journey. These are some of the things I wrote down, listeners. I'll go through this and I wanted this last segment you called Messy was golden, so I want to spend some time on that. I loved your, you know, back in the beginning of the podcast with you and Bree talking to Keith and the advice you gave him was just the advice you give a straight sibling. And yeah, I just think that's, I think is, uh, I would do the same thing. And, um, and then you link that to shame. And I just think people should, there's so much shame around 
how people feel. And then that young man in the car that had the courage come out to you and you recognize all the internalized shame. And then even asking, I think one of your, I think it was Keith, you asked, you know, what would you tell your young women's men's leaders? And he knew the church teachings, but you did such a good way of articulating how Keith felt, just all the, you know, the shame he felt, even though he knew that his feelings weren't a choice. And so I think that's where we can proactively just say kind things. It's it's our job as allies to eliminate that shame. That shame doesn't even change yeah. church policy or church doctrine. Mm-hmm. It just puts everybody mm-hmm. on the same moral footing. And I think people then make better decisions because they yeah. don't feel they're a mistake. So that was terrific. Um, I love your comment, love the sinner, instead of and then shifting that to invite them to dinner, which was what mm-hmm. Jesus did. But then you went one step further, and I thought that was great. Um, but this last segment that you framed up as messy was actually golden. Um, and I wrote down the word authentic and integrity, even mm. though you kind of pivoted from integrity and I've never quite separated those words, but that was a pretty thoughtful discussion, um, from Terrell Givens about your own integrity, but, yeah, and maybe there's some, you know, nuance around integrity, but one thing, you know, I still want to give you the integrity label in this podcast, cause I think you've been pretty honest, but you've also been incredibly authentic and maybe those are synonyms, but maybe there's some mm. space there, but I love this. You know, I love you're honest where you are, that you um, are in the church and want to make it work. You don't hold a temple recommend. And I've sort of talked about this in the past listeners that I don't think there should be a belief or behavior hurdle to feel welcome at the congregation or even like you're doing serving at the congregation. And um, yeah, to go to the temple, there's a belief in behavior hurdle and the gate narrows, but I think the gates wide. And so I love that, you are making space for yourself and your ward is, even though you don't hold a temper recommend and not sort of doing, well, get with the program, Kevin, or you're going to leave because we're obviously better with you here. Now, question seven, there's tension around that. Um, You know, where I sort of draw the line in my own answering that question, I hold a temple recommend, I'm a temple worker. So um, is I just sort of look at that as am I, you know, advocating in and commu- developing community for changing in policy or doctrine. And since I'm not doing that, even though I have private feelings that I hope things change in this space, um, and I'm open to that, and I, and I know, you know, and I pray for more understanding this space, and our leaders will be inspired because there's so much pain in this space. There's every space I've served in the church, there's been fruit of where we are. In this space, there's a lot of pain. And that makes yeah. me, so that's, the, and I'm not saying you should navigate it that way, but everybody's got to kind of authentically navigate that question, but you're really um, very thoughtful and very intentional about how you're navigating that. Um, but I really, so that's just messy. And I think it's a beautiful part of your yes. story. And I love you being open on the podcast about it. Cause I think there's a lot of people that are trying to navigate that too. I've got some more comments, but do you want to come back to that part of your story, the messy part? Are there more things to share? That was really well done. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I mean, I don't have a lot to share other than, you know, I feel this way now. I don't think I'll ever change on on my stance on how I view same-sex relationships. I don't think I'll ever I had a, one of the state presidency members in, a, in an interview asked, you know, are you open to the idea that you're wrong? Um, that you could be wrong about this and that same-sex marriage could actually be a sin. 
And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I guess. Like, of course I could be wrong. I could be wrong about anything. But I am more sure about this just based off all the time I've spent thinking and pondering and praying about it than I am about most other aspects of the gospel, like of President Nelson being the prophet today. You know, I have a testimony of that, but it's not as big as my testimony that my family's relationships are are okay in God's eyes, you know? And so I'm going to question that. I got to question a lot of stuff. And so, so anyway, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm probably not going to change my belief there, but my, my beliefs on tithing, my willingness or unwillingness to be a full tithe payer, I go back and forth a lot on that. And I just think I should just, I should just pay my tithing. Why don't I just pay my tithing? And then I think, well, no, like I need to, you know, I, I, why am I supporting, you know, it, I have these competing thoughts in my head, like a lot. And so I'm never, I'm not settled on where I'm at. And like, if I'm going to, I mean, I, I could next month, I could go to my bishop and say, okay, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to hold a temple recommend. I'll, I'll pay tithing. I'll do what I need to do. I want to be fully in. I, I'm actually moving more towards that direction than I've ever been in the past couple of years. And so just to say like, it is messy and, and nothing is set in stone right now. And um, yeah, yeah. That's kind of all I have to say. Maybe there's more, but I don't know what the, what it is right now. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not your priest leader, but um, I, if I were, I'd say, and you opened up to me about your tithing experience, I'd probably just say, Kevin, I trust you, that mm. you're going to know the right thing to do. I'm not going to be prescriptive here. Yeah, I'm the bishop or member of the stake president. I'm going to invite you to generally, you know, follow church teaks. I'm going to, you know, invite you. And, but you already kind of know that. So I'd probably just yeah. say, Kevin, I trust you. And I, if you had opened up about this, um, these 10 things you wrote down after, I mean, those are really gold. It was just pure revelation. I, listeners, you know, that may be one of the best parts of this podcast is just what you shared. Pure intelligence mm-hmm. flows into you. It may give you sudden strokes of ideas to quote Joseph Smith. Um, these were just like, these could be someday conference talks. I love Ben the Doctrine. <laughs> Bend the doctrine towards inclusion. Um, confess my own shortcomings in the power of confession. There's a lot of, you're not trying to say you're humble, but you're willing to learn and and grow in this journey. And you model that really well. Jesus focused on the marginalized, talk about stuff subjects, um, expect resistance. And you're very self-aware of where you are as an ally and what your role is as an ally. This was just kind of, another golden section of your podcast that I think listeners will scroll back to. And some of them may just write down all 10 of these. They could build their own talks around these. <laughs> um, so this is part of what you're doing as an ally is just sharing your journey. Really. I'm still going to call you. I mean, I wrote down authentic, but I wrote around integrity, but there's something very authentic about you. And, and, you know, you're just in a good spot because you're so honest about who you are and your own journey. And not trying to be somebody else. You model belonging because you're not trying to fit in to the expectations yeah. of who you are, but you're just being who you are and feeling belonging and role modeling with others. I loved how you asked Kyle, if I got the right brother, about how you feel about how he feels about you paying tithing. Yeah, yeah. And I love that you mentioned Kyle's husband, Chandler, and Keith's boyfriend, Derek, if I got that right. And just... Yep gave these good men names and that they're so that you want them as part of your family and, and listeners. Yeah. I, the celestial kingdom that Kevin framed up is the celestial kingdom. I hope for, 
Um, we have, you know, kids that aren't fully active in the church right now. And so we're, we don't have any LGBTQ kiddos, but we have kids that aren't active. So we're navigating this as parents. And I, you know, when I hear that life's going to be really good for people, you know, in same-sex marriages, they're going to have a great life in the, I always get confused. It's the terrestrial, it's the, I get these two yeah. backwards, which is the king <laughs> right below the king. I it's think it's the terrestrial, terrestrial. Is the second terrestrial, yeah, terrestrial. Is the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry, listeners. I get those backwards. My wife always laughs at me, but I've always been a little comfortable that this is back to you punt your sort of idea that we punt to the next life is I'm a little uncomfortable. We say, well, you know, the next life is going to be so good for you um, that are in same sex marriages that, you know, I don't have any responsibility here to improve your life. Now our leaders have never, said it like I just said it, but I'd like what you said is, and this is kind of what can we do in our circle of influence in little C church? Cause we're all in little C church to improve the experience for LGBTQ members. And as an ally in our circle of influence, you may be a CS instructor and teaching early morning seminary and want to do better. So yeah, I, Big C's responsible for Big C, and we don't. Re- I don't really have a standing there to affect Big C, yeah. but I'm a little uncomfortable yeah. that we just say everything's going to be good in the next life for you, or we'll figure it out when we could actually do things in our circle of influence to improve things now. More thoughts that come to your mind. We still. More, I'm just enjoying talking with you, so I don't know if there's any more thoughts you'd like to share, or anything I've said that feels a little unsettling. No, I mean, I, I. Um... I like I like what you said about you know we I've no no authority over the Big C Church like I think I think that's where I started right when I said I gotta I gotta I gotta either leave or I or I need to we need to do something right and so I viewed myself like two years ago as an advocate advocating at the policy the Big C Church policy level where I was like I need to. I don't know, join a nonprofit that tries to like change stuff or I need to write letters. I, I still think writing letters is probably okay because I, I do think that I, at least I hope that church leadership reads them and, um, and they, they need to hear, you know, they need to hear from us. So I think writing letters is okay, but I really wanted to, to advocate for change at the, at the doctrine and policy level. And I like how you said, that's not where I'm, that's not where I'm standing. Like I, we're all standing in the little C church and it's really, I mean, it is unfortunate because I do think that culture is, is influenced by doctrine and policy. Um, I really think that culture, the culture, culture follows doctrine. And so this is kind of a tangent, but when people say, Oh, it's not the gospel, it's, it's the culture. And like, is it like, is it really um, because the culture is just kind of a response to what our doctrine is in a lot of ways. And so I, I don't, you know, we say things that we don't like. I don't like when people blame stuff on the culture um, and just kind of say, oh, that's just church culture. Like, I think there's actual conversations that need to be had around at least ward policies, ward, you know, stuff that we have to say or stuff that we have like control over instead of just blowing off as, oh, that's just bad church culture. You know, if you were to go to another ward, it would be, it would be better. But anyway, back to your point on like our circles of influence, the people who we interface with, like physically matter so much more than a faceless, you know, institution, even though they're, you know, 
not, not, I shouldn't say faceless. We know who they are. Um, but the institution who we don't, we don't interact with the people who, who we have influence over our, we should be focusing our, our efforts there. And, and I think, you know, just this conversation has helped me crystallize that a little bit more in terms of, of just being there in person with people and like just having real life conversations face to face one-on-one or, you know, in, in a classroom setting. Yeah. That's great. Um, that's all I've got listeners. I wrote down the word proximity. We haven't, I don't think either of us have said that word, but you've mm-hmm. taught, you've taught that with your brother, Kyle and Keith and just, pro, and your lesbian friends you've traveled with and spent hundreds of hours with. And that's such an important thing. I think listeners generally understand that, that, you know, proximity changed me in this space. Yeah, I had yeah. to listen to queer people and a lot of queer people to better understand this space. and. And so I call it the trap of unearned opinions. I shouldn't have any opinions about queer people until I listen to a lot of queer people. So proximity is so important. So that's why I'm grateful for Kevin and your mom and so many others have stepped forward and, you know, come on this platform to help us, you know, understand people. And I love your idea of a ward inclusion officer or leader. (laughs) That's a pretty thoughtful idea. And so... You know, I I just look forward, you know, thank you for what you're doing in your ward. And your ward sounds like you're in a ward that gets you and values you and you're having honest discussions and there's still some resistance and tension. And I think that's part of growth, listeners. I know I've said this before. Sometimes when I feel the tension, my old self would say, well, that's the spirit leaving. And Mm. it's an uncomfortable Mm. feeling. My older self says, I'm going to sit with that. And see if the changes that I need to make in my own life internalize um, sexism or racism, particularly, well, LGBTQ. But that's the way I look at tension now. Is this this something that I need to change in my own worldview that's causing the tension? And so that's, I love your last one of this list of, I believe, 10 expect resistance. Yeah. So anything else that comes to your mind, Kevin? Just one thing that you said about proximity, and that's, I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. Having conversations with marginalized people, with gay, with gay members of the church, I think is the best way for people to understand more about this. If you don't know somebody who's gay, there's a really good podcast that I could refer you to. What's <laughs> the learning love, right? Um, there, I think, I honestly, like this podcast and others, I do a really good job of helping us like helping straight people understand kind of what it's like, like getting into the minds of, of queer people is, I think it's important to develop the empathy that's required for us to really be good allies and good friends. And so if you don't know anybody and you don't feel comfortable talking to them, start by listening to 10 hours of podcasts and um, you get, you get a really quick, you get a sense of what people are going through really quick by listening to their stories through podcasting. So I'm super grateful for your podcast and for the others that are out there that kind of push up these stories. So, yeah, thank you. Um, listeners, we will link in the show notes to um, Kevin's Facebook post. I assume that's a public Facebook post because I've seen it. We'll also link yeah. to Elder Danes's talk. I love that talk also. It's one of two that I printed out that I've read multiple times. That's from October General Conference. Great talk. Yeah. Um, I don't know if any of the Alstrom families listening We'll listen to this, but mom, dad, um, the siblings, Kyle, Chandler, Keith, Derek, this is just a beautiful family love story. 
and a credit to all of you for the work you've done. And every family probably still has some tension. And um, but I just think this is a great family story and a love story and of loving and supporting each other and growing together. And there's been tension and some pain. And I also want to tease you because your mom's listens after year was is thirty five thousand six hundred. I've listened to wow. her podcast. So, so many. <laughs> I don't know if you'll catch up, but it'll be interesting no. in every year if you're up to 35,000. But it just helps me realize that people are grateful for the Alstrom family and sharing your story. So, um, That's great. this is Kevin Alstrom and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.